I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. There is breaking news. The House GOP conference just voted on ousting Liz Cheney from leadership for standing up against the incitement of an insurrection. Cheney survived the vote. But I want you to hear the numbers. She got 145, okay? But 61 Republicans in the House voted against her for her telling the truth about the accountability of Donald Trump for what happened on January 6th that we just remembered last night. Those men and women were hunted too, and yet they voted against somebody who decided to vote her conscience, not her fealty, to Trump. One vote was present. Think of that. 60 out of that number. Let's go to Capitol Hill. We have Manu Raju there now. Uh, an historic vote. Uh, there was a lot of talk during there. The feel of it, Manu, as you were reporting earlier, was like Cheney might lose. Give us the dynamic. Yeah, the, she went behind the scenes for several weeks uh, in the aftermath of the, vo- the vote to impeach Donald Trump, talking to members, trying to get them on their side, explaining her vote. And uh, it appears to have paid off. She was listening to the concerns and she did not back away from her vote. In fact, today she said that she does not regret voting for to impeach Donald Trump. She made that clear to her conference. But there were an outspoken contingent of members who came after her very aggressively through the course of this more than four hour closed door meeting. And at the end of the day, the members decided that it's more important to unite at this moment than engage themselves in a divisive leadership fight and the ouster of the highest ranking Republican woman in leadership. Now, uh, at the same time, this this uh, debate tonight, Chris, was not about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yes, that was part of it. Her comments that have gotten so much attention over the last couple of weeks, last week in particular, her conspiracy theories, everything else, that was really not the focus here tonight. Green addressed those controversies, seemed to walk back from what she has said, said that doesn't represent her. That seemed to be good enough for the Republicans. Instead, the focus was almost exclusively on Liz Cheney and whether she should continue to serve as the Republican conference chairwoman, the number three person, because she voted to impeach Donald Trump. First, give me a little context, and then I want you to take me in the room. On context, 145 to 61, one present. Um, Ordinary circumstances, she won by a healthy margin. But given what they had her up on charges for, essentially, which was voting to impeach uh, the president, what do you make of that margin, that 61 votes plus one present? We're trying to oust her for the vote of impeachment. Yeah, it shows a sizable and healthy influence that Donald Trump still has on the Republican Party. Now, the thing to remember about this, though, Chris, this was a secret ballot. So we will never know how people actually voted in the room. And I talked to many Republicans who left who just refused to comment one way or the other how they voted. And they will never be able to know because there is no record of their vote. But there was a majority of the House Republican Conference on the night of the riots, after the riots, that voted still to get rid of the electoral results right. for Arizona and Pennsylvania, but still not a majority of the conference to get rid of Liz Cheney. So uh, I'm not sure how to interpret that other than the fact that a lot of this is personal relationships. She has personal relationships, and she went behind the scenes to ensure that that paid off at the end of the day. She, it seems like it did. She was very quiet and straight in her statements when she came out. She was like, look, I want to take on these hostile Democratic policies. You know, but she seemed a little browbeaten, to be honest. Uh, she was not the normal energy we're used to seeing uh, from her. Now, behind closed doors, 
Is it true that the vibe about Cheney was completely the inverse of what was up there with the QAnon lady, uh, that she got people supporting for her and applauding after she spoke? Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to several people who were in the room who told me that after Marjorie Taylor Greene addressed the Republican conference, which was actually about a couple hours into the session, she finally addressed the room. She contended that her statements that she's made, all the conspiracies, including QAnon, don't represent her. She said she said some things in the past before she was elected that she does not necessarily agree with now. And that seemed to be good enough. That actually led to this round of applause that I'm told about half of the Republican conference actually stood up and applauded her for those statements. So that seemed to be good enough for them. And there were others who came out and defended her through the course of this session. Now, I, I want to emphasize, though, this was not the focus, even though it got all the attention over the last several days, including from the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, who said that Marjorie Taylor Greene's views amounted to a cancer for the party. That was still not the focus here. It was almost all about Liz Cheney. Well, McCarthy, show. the minority leader, didn't hold a vote on yeah. the QAnon lady, did he? No, he, he decided he not to. He decided uh, not to. He could have, if, if McCarthy wanted her off those committees, he could absolutely have done that, gotten the, the, the steering committee, which is a group of Republican members who essentially are loyal to him, to push her off those committees. He decided he did not want to do that. Now, he did propose something else to the, the Democrats to swap committees so she could serve on something besides the House Education Committee. That's what's gotten a lot of criticism, given the conspiracy theories she said about those school shootings that happened. But... That right. offer was not taken by Democrats. They want her off all committees altogether, and they're going to move tomorrow to do just that. All right, let's play a little bit of the minority speaker uh, McCarthy talking about this, because literally he made Gumby uh, look like uh, he's stiff in terms of how he twisted around to make this into a point of integrity. Listen. I denounce all those um, comments that were brought up. Um, everybody, and she came to the she came inside our conference and denounced them as well. She said she was wrong. She has reached out in other ways and forms. And nothing that she said has been based upon since she's been a member of Congress. And the voters, the voters, no, the voters decided she could come and serve. Denouncing QAnon, I don't know if I say it right, I don't even know what it is. Um, any from the shootings, she said she knew nothing about lasers. Boy, there's a page of the Trump book. I can't wait till it gets turned. I don't even know what Q now. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You should just remind him next time you see him. Remember all those signs that the people are holding up as they uh, savagely attacked our capital? Remember it said QAnon? That's QAnon. Boy, the lies. So he relies on two bases. The first one is um, she denounced all these things. There has been no public statement, to my knowledge, of her saying that to anybody outside this conference. And I wonder if anybody asked her, well, what exactly do you renounce and denounce? Yeah, that is, I'm not told that anybody asked her that. It may have come up, but I really don't believe there was a back and forth based on the sources that I'm talking, that I talked to. She made her statement. They, they applauded her, what she said. The other uh, congressmen vo voiced support for her, and they moved on. I, didn't, I don't sense there was any sort of exchange with her. But what McCarthy said is that he does believe she should say this publicly. And other Republican members I talked to, even ones who are supporting her staying on the committees for now, still want her to go out publicly and denounce QAnon and say that she doesn't believe these conspiracies that she has said that she, just as recently as 2018 and 2019, believed. So will she do that? We, don't, we just don't know because we've tried to been at, we've been asking her questions 
Chris, for the last two days in the halls, everywhere she's gone, she has refused to answer any of our questions. So will she say it publicly and actually do that? We'll see. And I tried to ask McCarthy, some of that exchange you played, Chris, was my back and forth mm -hmm. with McCarthy as I was trying to get him to explain how he's, he appears to be endorsing this woman whose views he, that Mitch McConnell called a cancer to the Republican Party. I said, well, how could you just take one private comment and suggest that this long pattern of, of things that she said, that one did not, private denial is enough to wipe away everything she said in the last couple of years. He did not answer that question I tried to ask him towards the end. So that is a question here, too. Was that enough for, for, for the Republican leaders? They're saying if she says that now as a member of Congress, they may act differently. They're giving her a pass now because they said she just said it before she was elected. Yeah, there's a new rule for them. You can say whatever you want before you get elected. But once you're elected, even though you say the same things during that campaign, uh, supposedly, you know, that's still OK for McCarthy. Boy, oh boy. Uh, now, what happens tomorrow? What is what votes happen tomorrow? And are they open or private? There are public votes on the House floor. The House Democrats are making clear they are moving forward. A vote will be on the House floor. A simple majority of the House Democrats have the majority in the House to strip her from those two committees, the House Education Committee and the House Budget so will Committee. So we, and they we have will the know votes. tomorrow which Republicans want a QAnon member to be promoted within their ranks. No question about it. And w I'm expecting very few Republicans are going to side with with uh, the Democrats. A vast majority will side with Marjorie Taylor Greene. But just like we're seeing with the impeachment trial, Chris, they're making a process argument. This has happened before she was a member of Congress. We should not set the precedent. And I, I, to be fair, Democrats, too, are a bit concerned about the precedent that they are setting, too. What if the Republicans take the majority in 2022 and go after their members? That seems to be a possibility here with this vote tomorrow. So it is a bit of a risk that Democrats are taking, but they're still moving ahead. I expect only a handful of Republicans to break ranks. A vast majority will make that process argument, say, don't go after our members on our committee. We make decisions on who sits on our committees and don't go after them before the things they said before they were elected. Mm. Uh, I think the Democrats should have learned the lesson that hoping that the Republicans won't do something wrong to them so they'll play it nice doesn't get you very far. Manu, thank you very much, and thank you for asking the questions to McCarthy to count. What he wouldn't answer says as much about what he did answer. Let's bring in John Kasich and Michael Smirkanish. Uh, so, Gov, do you think tomorrow uh, we're going to have an introduction to the new QAnon wing of the Republican Party when the Democrats put to a vote? You think the Republicans are going to stand you know, by this QAnon member? You know, in listening to this, Chris, if this, if this lady... Uh, had, you know, she wanted to try to make things right, she should go down into the well of the House and she should apologize to everybody, including Nancy Pelosi and the comments she's made, you know, that were in the, in the area of violence and denounce all that she said, because I understand she had a tweet out the other day saying, I'm not going to apologize for anything. That's so right. I don't really know what happened in there. But what I can tell you is if she were to go down into the, into the House floor and say, look, I, I, this, I'm going to tell you everything, give me the extended time, and let me explain everything, and let me apologize. You know, she may survive it. But without that, uh, I don't see how they can, they can support her. You know, I, I went home tonight, Chris. We all talk about family. And my wife looked at me, and she's, been re she's on her computer. She said, all, I teach my, my daughters how to behave. And I look at the comments from this woman and from the party, and I don't even understand why I'm a Republican. How do I change that if I want to? I said, well, I'll, I'll get you the details of how you do that, sweetie. She says, I can't teach my daughters one thing and then see our elected officials behaving in another way. So, 
you know, this is a really serious matter. And I hope that they that I don't think she's going to apologize. And if she doesn't, she should lose her committees. I was the first one to say that, that, you know, this woman should be should be isolated right. and lose her committees. Let's see what she does tomorrow. It's, it's up to her. Well, if somebody can make the case, it'll be Smirconish because he is Mr. It's good for business when it comes to all of these ugly trappings of the new Republican Party. But I don't understand. First of all, I get what the gov is saying. But, Michael, we both know she can't go down onto the floor and say, all right, when I said the Jewish laser beams thing. uh, Yeah, I didn't mean that. I shouldn't have said that. When I said uh, that killing Pelosi is a good thing and I like that. Yeah, I I shouldn't have done that either. And and the drinking the baby blood. uh, Yeah, I don't really think uh, that they do that. And JFK's plane. Yeah, I don't think the Clintons killed it. And uh, uh, the uh, 9-11. Yeah, I think it hit the Pentagon. Uh, You know, I don't think that she's going to go down there and say that. And I don't think the party will require her to. So how does this work, what McCarthy did tonight? How is this not establishing a QAnon wing? A couple of things. First of all, Liz Cheney was saved by a secret ballot. Yes. Those 61 votes would have been a hell of a lot higher if it had been in the light of day. It allowed Republicans to exhibit their beer muscles among colleagues, talk tough, please the base, then go behind the curtain and vote their conscience for what's in the party's best interest. I think that the big picture is they're dopes. I mean, do they really want a public record tomorrow of how they stand on Marjorie Taylor Greene? If they had disciplined her in their own house, they could not then therefore have been held accountable the way they will tomorrow. And Chris, I want you to think about something. You might not think this apples to apples, but 61 Republican House members were willing to vote against Liz Cheney behind closed doors. Do you remember the number 147? That was how many Republican House members were challenging the Electoral College Mm -hmm. votes on that infamous day of January 6th. I think it's a similar mindset. And what I'm pointing out to you is the difference how they act behind closed doors versus when the light is on them and they think that the base is paying attention and they better behave for the base or there could be repercussions. All right, two quick takes. I don't have a lot of time. First for you, Michael. Um, How does this work for McCarthy, what he did tonight? I don't think it works well for this reason. There are parts of the country, I guess, where to be against Liz Cheney, but supportive of the QAnon congresswoman, plays well. But that's not where I live. And in suburbia, which is where John Kasich runs well, a Kasich-type Republican, this is a non-starter. All you're going to do is keep the base coming back, and you will continue to lose those areas that allowed Joe Biden to become the president of the United States. Uh, And, Gov, last question to you, which you absolutely will not answer. Um, Did you tell your wife after this happened today, oh, shoot, I got to get ready. I have to run. Uh, because I'm going to be the only kind of candidate that can win for this party in, in four years for the next presidency. No, I, I didn't tell her that because I wanted to get home. She'd have locked the door and not let me in. But here's the, here's the interesting thing, Chris. You remember when Trump said during the debate to the Proud Boys, you stand back and stand by? Mm-hmm. And what McCarthy's doing is playing a very dangerous game. He doesn't want to make these people angry who support people like Green. And there are people like that in this country. But you know what? Getting power... And being in charge for what? To, to, to play this kind of a game? I know him. Shame on this. This is a very bad move, and it is not going to help the Republican Party over time. If these kinds of things, without, these kind of things damage the party, it shrinks the party, and they've lost their sense of ideas. We'll see if they can get them back. Trump said stand back and stand by, and McCarthy all but told them tonight, 
come ahead and come strong doing this the day after we commemorated January 6th and the man who gave his life that day. Governor Kasich, thank you. Michael Smirconish, as always. Appreciate you, brother. Another big story. Thank you. The CDC director warns COVID variants. Okay, that's our race. It's vaccine versus variants. All right. The variants are getting more and more troubling. Uh, They could reverse the only good trends we've had lately in this pandemic fight. There are only a handful of states getting even a fraction, a small fraction of the data that we need to know how far the strains are spreading. The need for testing and contact tracing never went away. It never went away. We've never caught up with the need. So will the vaccines do the catching up for us? We have the chief doctor on that and whether we need to rethink who gets the shot first. How? Answers ahead. It's variants versus vaccine, and we're losing, okay? The vaccine and the variants, which one will make us sicker or which one will get us to a place where the variants can't hurt us, okay? It's no longer a question of when people start dying from these mutated COVID strains. It's happening. And the pace at which it is spreading, these different variants, they, is scary. Remember how long it took for COVID to move from the coast to the heartland, okay? This is exponentially faster. Why? Because that's what the variant is. It's an improvement on the virus that allows it to spread more quickly. That's how it survives, okay? The variant found in the UK, those cases have almost doubled in the last week. And we're not really even looking for it the way we should, okay? Once someone tests positive for COVID, then the states can take the test and go to sequence it or dig into the genetic makeup of the case to know what they're dealing with. Ballpark experts, you know, they tell us sequencing is like 5 to 10% of the cases. So we're not even looking. Now, does that matter? Are cases cases? Only six states have done even 1%. The national average is just over 0.3%. So we're not really even looking for the most dangerous aspect of the virus. Why? Because we're stupid. No resources, manpower and resources. I know it gets tired and I know that the Retrumplicans did a great job of this making look like a blue state bailout. If you don't have the money, laboratory access, the funding for it and the testing kits and the genetic tracing materials, you can't do it even if you want to. So are we getting better at the vaccine? Yes. Not everything has to be bad or good. All right. There's subtlety here. There's complexity here. And we have to deal with that. But we're not making up enough ground with the vaccine in the communities that are hardest hit. We have systemic inequality. And it affected who got sick, okay? More poor people, more black people. Who are the essential workers? By percentage, more black people, more poor people. Now, who's getting the vaccines? Not them. In all 23 states that we actually have data for, remember, again, there's no central clearinghouse of data. We're not looking at it on the national level. So how are we going to know state by state if you trust them? Black people are getting a smaller share of vaccinations relative to how many of them are getting sick. It is wrong. We are not QAnon. Not yet. Okay, we care about each other. Same thing for Hispanics. Twenty one out of twenty three of those states. It's not equitable. It's not fair. And it's not right. And we're not going to be able to get ahead if we don't treat the communities the right way. Listen to this. 
We're not, because the situation is we still have a demand that far exceeds the uh, supply. You have more people who want the vaccine, who need the vaccine, than we can supply. Look, we're lucky that's the problem. Because if you had to really create demand, if we were really that dumb that we didn't want this, we'd be in worse place. So, key question. We've been asking this from Jump on the show. How much vaccine do we have? The Biden team came in saying, we don't even know where to look. Okay, that was 10 days ago. All right. We've heard a lot of talk about how much more is coming. I still don't know what this number of 16 percent that then moved to 20 percent. I know that the Biden administration said, no, 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 that's not the difference between five shots and six that we can get with this extra syringe that some for some reason we never make. But we can now for Pfizer. That's 20 percent. Five to six is 20 percent. The number more that states are going to get went from 16 percent to 20 percent. Is that that number? We've been told no. I think we should ask again. And I think we should be asking, how much supply do you have? Why don't you know? Let's bring in Chief Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Uh, it's good to see you, brother. Again, I'm not beating up on somebody who just started. But you got to get your hands around your own inventory. If you had gone to work for the administration, which I know every administration asks you to do, lucky for us you stay with us, that's the first thing you need to know is what you have. Um, so we do have to press about that. I want to move from the variants just for one other thing. There's no way we're going to beat the variants if we don't mask up. No way. There is pressure for more masks because you can't be wearing your fishing sock. You have to wear the N95 or the KN95. The Defense Production Act is the best way for the federal government to get more of them. Is that in the atmosphere of discussion? Yeah, you know, very much. And, you know, I'm surprised that it hasn't come up earlier because we've been talking a lot about masks for some time. And the idea that not all masks are created equal. We did a report uh, a couple of weeks ago now basically uh, showing what would happen if people wore the N95 masks regularly in high-risk situations. Not all the time, but when you're out in public in population-dense areas, if you wore N95 masks, according to Abrar Karan at Harvard, he says it could that, not talking about vaccines, just that, could essentially end this pandemic in four weeks. Masks are almost more surgical in how quickly they could work. And there is discussion now. Uh, Senator Sanders and others have written a letter to President Biden basically saying, invoke the Defense Production Act, make enough of these masks, get the Postal Service to distribute these masks so households all have them, can use them regularly, and that can make a big difference. Wearing a mask is the most important thing, but wearing the right kind of mask, also very important, and it is a discussion that's happening. All right, one other point uh, for tonight. Um, these disparities based on color and ethnicity, is there any good answer for it? No, there, there, there really isn't. I mean, you know, I have to say that since the beginning, first of all, as you pointed out, there's still not enough data being collected, which boggles the mind, because this was a problem at the very beginning of the pandemic. People didn't even, they suspected there was going to be significant disparities in terms of who was being affected, who was more likely to be hospitalized or die from this. Uh, but we weren't even collecting the data initially. Uh, now, when it comes to vaccinations, we are collecting some data, but it's still le less than half the country. If, if you think about medicine as a as just overall, the idea that you would provide the best, whether it be a therapeutic or preventative, as the case of the vaccine, to the people who have the highest disease burden, that's always what's that's what's logical. It's what's driven how we think about this. Older people more likely to die, give them the vaccine first. Healthcare workers more likely to get exposed, give them the vaccine first. Black Americans, brown Americans, three to four times more likely to be hospitalized. They should be at the front of the line. They're not. 
part of its access, part of its hesitancy, and part of it is that, you know, there's still these structural inequalities that exist and, and must be addressed. That may be one of the biggest lessons that comes out of all of this, Chris. You know, look, the hard part for Biden is, I, actually, I don't think, I think it's a blessing as much as it's a burden. Trump would have run away from this. He would have lied and said it wasn't true, and he would have said it was some radical reckoning. It's not. It's the truth. And Biden knows it's the truth. Will he do what he needs to do in this situation? We'll see. Uh, One quick thing, just because I'm afraid now of getting sick as much as anybody with the variants. I don't see how we're going to stay ahead of it in a society that doesn't want to mask up and wants to get back to restaurants. All these states are getting ready to open back up. The case flow is worse now than when they shut down. What's going to be the reality of what these variants are going to do to our case numbers in the coming months? Well, Chris, I, you know, I, I, I share your concern and I, you know, I think about you a lot uh, when I, when I um, you know, look at these numbers. I, I, I think the, the, the tough news, first of all, is that I think these variants will become the dominant strains in this country. It's just the way it goes. If you have something that's more transmissible, it crowds out the other, the other uh, circulating coronavirus. We know that as you increase the numbers, uh, even if the, the virus, the new variant, is less lethal, it's more likely to get into vulnerable communities, and that's why you got to vaccinate those communities first. That, that's, that's the bad news. We're going to have more of it. The case numbers will go up. The good news, I think, Chris, and I think it's worth pointing this out and reminding people that the vaccines do work well. Mm-hmm. It is this race, as you point out, but the vaccines work well. If you go back and look at the five trials that people have really focused on over the last several months, out of 75,000 people in those trials, the people who got the vaccine None of them died. Mm-hmm. There were a few hospitalizations, but none of them died. And, th- and that accounts for variants as well. So I think that's what matters the most. Does the vaccine protect against people getting really sick, being hospitalized, and dying? Yes. I'm not suggesting you want this, this virus, as you right. well know, Chris. And it's not just about living or dying. But I think that the vaccines protect against some of those awful metrics, the hospitalizations and deaths that, you know, that we've seen tick up over time. I'd take being a little sick any day. Um, I'm definitely going to get the vaccine. You know, I'll be interested. I don't know what I I don't know that I could take a second round of that illness. We'll see. Dr. Gupta, always a pleasure, brother. Thank you. All right. So, look, Chris, thank you. We we know that it's got to be on the federal government. Okay, you you can't undo that. The states have to handle a lot of this. It's too late. There's too much infrastructure and planning that's gone into that. It was a bad decision early on. Should have always been federalized from the start. But the relief bill, top down help is therefore huge. And we have a perfect guest to discuss the relief bill and the need for relief in our political culture. We have Senator Tim Kaine, key voice on whether Joe Biden can keep his majority together and in shaping policy during these two years. Senator, good to see you. Welcome to primetime. Thank you so much. Senator, in terms of what's making us sick, uh, we have the pandemic and then we have the disease of our own making in our politics. What do you make of what you saw out of the House GOP tonight? Well, you know, I, I am there, there's just so much denial about uh, the need to excise bad behavior, cut it out. You know, we, we've got a we've got a political virus just like we've got a health virus. And if you're not willing to take the steps to beat the political virus, the body politic is going to stay sick. And so far, the GOP doesn't show signs of being willing to deal with the political virus and um, they're often challenging us and trying to deal with the health virus. And on the Senate side, you and Senator Su- Susan Collins of Maine, who I also invited on the show, she's always invited, um, you tried to get a censure bill to go after the president to hold him account that way. You didn't have support on either side of the aisle for it. What does that tell you? 
Well, Chris, we didn't, and it was it was censure, but more than that, we were gonna we had a bill uh, that was going to make two factual findings under the Fourteenth Amendment to the Constitution that would have barred Donald Trump from running again. It would have found that the attack on the Capitol was an insurrection against the Constitution, and it would have found that Donald Trump gave aid and comfort to the insurrectionists. And the effect of that finding, in our view, would have barred him from running from office, which is exactly the same effect of a conviction, which is very difficult to get. I mean, I'm an optimist, but I think it's going to be really tough to get 67 votes. This is a simple resolution that we could have gotten done with 60. But you're right. Republicans didn't want to put a hurdle in Donald Trump's path. And Democrats didn't want to accept anything less than conviction in an impeachment trial. And so if it's if the Republicans are saying nothing and the Democrats are saying all or nothing, well, we'll go into that trial and, and see what we see. But I'm very, very concerned that we're going to get to the end of it and the headlines all across the country is Donald Trump acquitted again. Oh, yeah. And you're going to be hearing it from him and his new QAnon pal and all the other kooks uh, who just attacked the Capitol. It's going to be a win for them. It's a it's a dicey proposition. Another dicey proposition. Uh, it's seeming all or nothing on the relief bill. Is that your feeling? Do you believe that the Democrat demand to go big makes a compromise that is anything significant off of those $2,000 checks or whatever it is. Is any of that likely from the Democrat side? You know, Chris, I, here, here's what I think. I think you're going to see a bill. We're setting up this budget reconciliation process, which is not, which is neither partisan or bipartisan. It's a tool that's been available to majorities of both sides since 1974. We're setting it up. Budget reconciliation enables you to go big and do it soon when the nation needs it. And the nation needs it right now. And budget reconciliation has been used for some of the most bipartisan things we've ever done. Like You think you'll get past the bird rule and the parliamentarian in terms of whether or not these things qualify as emergency emergency funding or budgetary funding? I, I, I do. There, there will be some, and you know, you know the you know the details of this. There will be some pieces where there may be some challenges with the parliamentarian, but as long as it's minimum wage is the budget- big one. Yeah, as long as it's primarily budgetary in nature, we should be able to do it. And guess what? We are in dialogue every day with our Republican colleagues, and so is President Biden, to make sure that the bill, when it's voted on, is chock full of priorities that are not just Democratic priorities, that are Republican priorities too. I don't know at the end of the day, they may decide to do what they did when Obama and Biden first got into office and say they're going to vote against it no matter what it is. But when you look at the substance of what we will do, unemployment, helping small businesses, vaccine deployment, uh, more research, when you look at the substance of the bill, you're going to see a bill that is not a partisan bill, but that's a bill that will be good for red states, blue states and in between states. I covered that. The Republicans were saying the same thing about the first relief bill. This was before the ACA, 2008-2009. And they said, work with us, work with us. Don't cram it down. All they wanted from that bill ultimately were the tax cuts. And they wouldn't vote for any of it. Not one of them voted for it. And you wound up uh, needing to cram down. 78% of Americans are in favor of $1,400 stimulus payments. 18% oppose. Uh, that's probably the best number you have going forward into that, if you can get Democrats to want to um, negotiate at all. And there's an argument for them, especially after tonight, that these are not a group of people that you want to work with. Senator Tim Kaine, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Chris, we will get this done. Thanks so much.
Hope so. Let's turn to someone on the House side. Democrat Tim Ryan. Now, he is looking into what happened at the Capitol and where you should have responsibility and accountability. What does he make of what just happened on the other side of his chamber? Next. Truly sad developments on the Republican side of the aisle in Congress tonight. The number three, Liz Cheney, who had the audacity to vote to impeach the man who was arguably responsible for the insurrection on the Capitol. She was put to the test. They wanted her out, but she overcame a wide margin, 145 to 61. Now, remember, it was a secret ballot. Imagine if it weren't. I wonder if she would have survived. The question is whether Republicans will do the same tomorrow. The QAnon kook is going on trial, basically, in front of the whole House. The Democrats don't believe she should be on a committee. The GOP minority leader says he doesn't even know what QAnon is. But she renounces everything she ever believed. Not to you, she didn't. Now, who's QAnon? Do you remember all these signs in front of the Capitol in the hands of people who were hunting you? Believe me, they existed. Okay, you go online, you'll find them. Not on this show, but you'll find them all over the place. Not just jackets like this, signs all over the place in the hands of the people who were hunting you, Mr. McCarthy, and others that day. That's who they are. Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan joins me now, and we are learning new information that they were even more brutal that day than we already knew. What have you learned, sir? And thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're seeing what you're seeing as we review more and more of these videos. Uh, you, you see, and I think everybody understands now what could have potentially happened uh, in the House chamber or if they found a member of Congress, especially somebody uh, in leadership, a Nancy Pelosi screaming about Pence and all the rest. Uh, they were prepared to be very, very violent and in we can assume, uh, kill somebody. And I think, I think that's becoming more and more apparent and more shocking every day. Is it true some of the injuries were more grisly than we knew, that somebody lost several of their fingers? Um, I didn't, didn't hear that report, um, but I will tell you there were cops that got hit upside the head with uh, lead pipes. Uh, you know, this was after a big campaign where, you know, the Republicans were talking about the Democrats not liking cops, the Democrats being anti-blue and all of that. And here this crew is, uh, you know, lead pipes up the he- upside the head. Uh, I think it was 60 to 70 cops were injured. Uh, we know about the one that we memorialized uh, last night and honored last night and the two others who died by suicide. And that just is on a scale and continue uh, the issues with so many cops who are exhausted traumatized and uh, just want to get some reprieve. So they're, they're from the beatings, the deaths, all the way down to, you know, some of the mental health issues that they're experiencing now. So it's a, it's a complete spectrum of pain that has been, you know, pushed onto the Capitol Police here. Yeah, and there's another officer who's still battling uh, to keep one of his eyes. Uh, we'll be checking in on their situations as the reporting comes out. What more have you learned about why there was such a failure to respond and whether or not there was any inside help? Well, you know, we're looking into it. 
uh, Chris. This is going to take a while. As you know, I, I wish I had a quick answer for you. Uh, my committee, the Appropriations Committee led by Rosa DeLora, we're going to be looking into this. The House Administration Committee, Congresswoman Loughran is going to be doing it. Uh, obviously, the U.S. Attorney, the FBI, they're all pursuing this. The, the 2,000 cameras on Capitol Hill and all the film going back for a number of days. Uh, we, it has to be reviewed. Um, I, I think it's going to come down to uh, people making a political decision. I can't say that outright, but I just think that, you know, people uh, were afraid to be prepared at the level we needed to be prepared. Why? I don't know. It's insane to think about, but it's why the, the sergeant at arms is gone. It's why the chief of the Capitol Police is gone and, and we have other people in place. And we're doing an entire review now. General, General Honore is doing a phenomenal job taking this very, very seriously about how we move forward protecting the Capitol. But it's, it's going to be a bunch of bad decisions were made. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. Sometimes the concern isn't who leaves, it's who remains. Uh, afterwards. But we'll be watching your investigating on this. You're always welcome here to talk about it. And I'll love uh, to get your take, even if it's tomorrow night, if you can make it, about what will happen on this vote tomorrow and how Republicans decide to stand up for a QAnon member in their own ranks. That organization was all over the insurrection. It'll be interesting to watch. Congressman Tim Ryan, Godspeed. You're always welcome here. Thanks, Chris. Always great to be with you. All right. And if you want to look at how bad the QAnon situation can be, wait until you see when we come back. You have to get the right perspective on what's happening in the Republican Party. This isn't about fringe. This isn't about extreme conservative. These are extremists. These are cultists. These are conspiracy wackos. Okay. So the fact that Joe Biden's inauguration came and went without incident left believers of this conspiracy kook show QAnon stunned. So many bought into the baseless theory that Trump would declare martial law and that everyone at the event would be rounded up and arrested. Doni O'Sullivan spoke to a former Q follower about how she reacted when none of the QAnon predictions came true. When President Biden was sworn in. Hi, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. I was just crying. I mean, I couldn't stop like that ugly cry that you do. It just kept going. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm seeing the funeral of our country. And instantly I went into panic mode. I had to call my mom and I just told her, I was like, we're all gonna die. We're gonna be owned by China. And I was like, I might have to pull my daughter out of school because they're gonna take her. I was scared to death. Ashley Vanderbilt, a South Carolina mom who says she lost her job early in the pandemic, fell deep down the QAnon conspiracy theory rabbit hole before November's election. How did you get into this world and go down this rabbit hole? Well, I started seeing TikToks and I didn't know that it was conspiracy things. I just thought it was they were telling me something that nobody else knew. So then I would reach out to different friends of mine that were bigger Trump supporters. I would say, you know, I, I saw this on TikTok. What do you think? And they'd start sending me YouTube videos. They would start sending me different Facebook Live videos. And one thing led to another. I just went down this rabbit hole learning all this stuff. But I mean, what have we heard the last four or five years? Don't watch the news, fake news, fake news. I don't watch the news. I don't read newspapers. Like, I don't do anything. I've always been someone that you just tell me what to do and I do it. I grew up being told we were Republicans, so I've always been that straight red ticket. 
How do you think that videos like this started showing up in your feed? Well, originally I was just following like entertainment stuff, but sometime when maybe people started like campaigning, I started liking a lot of Trump posts and things that were anti-Biden and the algorithm must have just brought that kind of stuff to me. Right before the inauguration, you didn't believe Biden was really going to get sworn in. No, I expected a blackout. I expected the TV to go black and nothing to work. And so we wouldn't see anything. The assumption of what would happen would be that most of the Democratic leaders there, quite a few of the Republican leaders, all the Hollywood elite that had attended, they'd all be arrested. The military's going to haul them off. They said that Trump opened back up Guantanamo Bay. And then the military would run the country, put us in martial law because the left come too unhinged and they'd be a danger to us. And then Trump would come back when the government was rebuilt. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> but you believed it. I did. And then Biden got sworn in. Mm -hmm. How did you feel? I was devastated. The belief among QAnon supporters that Biden would not be inaugurated was wrong. Ashley Vanderbilt realized she had bought into a conspiracy theory. Well, I was wrong. How do you feel now knowing that you believed all this stuff? It's weird. I think I spent a lot of time this year isolated from everybody you know i've just been home a lot i've lost my job last april in 2020 and i was super depressed and i think in a way i probably lost touch with a little bit of reality and that almost like common sense and so i'm not so much embarrassed for what i believed but i mean i feel foolish a spokesperson for TikTok said the company is committed to countering misinformation and content promoting QAnon is not allowed on its platform after finding QAnon true TikTok, Ashley said the only thing that might have pulled her out of it before the inauguration was if Trump spoke out against it. I was the biggest Trump supporter there was. If he were to have said something, and if he were to just say, Q's illegitimate, nothing's real in there, I think some people would leave. Maybe not all the people that are way too far into it, but I think it would help a lot of... It would have helped you? Mm -hmm. I thought the world of him, so if he would have said, that's not real, I'm not coming back, it is over. I would have believed him. Donny O'Sullivan joins us now, and that's exactly why Trump went soft on them. It's the same reason Kevin McCarthy is doing it now. They want people like her. Now, people will watch this, Donny, and say, oh, you know, she's not smart, or this is all on her. How easy is it for somebody to become radicalized in this environment? Yeah, I mean, Chris, you heard it there. She didn't even realize she was being pulled into this QAnon rabbit hole, right? She started uh, seeing some TikTok videos, and before she knew it, she was in Facebook groups and watching YouTube live streams. And she said to me, you know, she is a religious person. She's a Christian. And it struck her one day that she was spending more time uh, in these groups every day reading about this conspiracy theory than she was going to church. And, you know, she said she got to the point where she was wondering if she was putting Trump, this sort of idol figure in the QAnon conspiracy, above God. How dangerous is the placating of the QAnon cuckoos in Congress right now in terms of what this does to the ability of that conspiracy group and others like it to find people like her online and say, we're legit, she's in Congress, listen to us. Yeah, look, and I mean, it's incredible, really. You have this 27-year-old mom in South Carolina who's been able to do what many Republican leaders are not, and to come out and say QAnon is BS and it's wrong and disavow it. And she said, I asked her, I said, what, does, what message does it send when Republican leaders like Kevin McCarthy do not come out and totally disavow this sort of thing? And she said it sends two messages. One, that they're endorsing it, that Republicans are endorsing this. And two, most concerningly, 
it sends the message, she said, to believers that if they're not coming out condemning this, that there's something to it, that they should continue to believe in QAnon. Mm. Donnie, thank you so much. I appreciate you doing the digging and finding these people. And frankly, getting her to do this interview and the way you handled it really makes a difference for people and for her. Thank you very much. Thanks, All right. Chris. Remember that. It's not just wackos. People can be radicalized. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.